Welcome to Any Honey and the Newt. So with this understanding uh, from Gautamer, and we don't have to buy everything that he says, but this idea that we accumulate experience, uh, we can imagine counterfactuals, we have a limited horizon, but we can shift that horizon by changing our context and our perspective. I think it's useful now to have an example of interpretation and see where this uh, comes into play and how it can, you know, sometimes mislead us. Interpretation isn't always pure and and productive. Uh, So I thought maybe we could talk about a good classic basketball film white men can't jump oh i was actually going to start asking you like when are we going to get an example i need an example (laughs) (laughs) do you want to give a little synthesis of the uh, synopsis of the of the story for maybe people that are younger (laughs) than we are (laughs) you'll have to help me because i don't remember too many of the details since it's been such a long time uh but essentially uh, both Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson, a uh, black player and a white player, right? Uh, they have been playing playground basketball, you know, for a long time. Um, and Woody Harrelson, uh, essentially, you know, in the beginning of the movie, he hustles uh, Wesley Snipes, right? They're playing against each other and he loses a game and then they're, they're betting money on it. And Wesley Snipes... Uh, you know, doubles down and Woody Harrelson actually like beats him and he's super surprised. And I think that they end up like going into some place. Real quick. Why is he surprised? Uh, How is, how is he able to hustle? Well, the, uh, the classic uh, cognitive bias in this scenario is that uh, like the, the title of the movie indicates white men can't jump. Right. And so white players and we actually see this stigma all the time in the when media analyzes NBA, people uh, reveal their bias through the narrative um, that white players are typically better at shooting. Uh, They're better at the intangibles, which I argue all the time are actually tangible. and We're just not putting in any cognitive effort. (laughs) Um, And that black players are just very good at the athletic side of things. and it's sort of true. Their skill in that is trivialized in not having skill in the other skill areas of basketball. Um, sometimes you'll see somebody like Kyrie who has such good handle that you're like, okay, I recognize that this actually is a very much practice skill. Um, but mm-hmm. it, in the movie, um, it's the same thing, right? What Wesley Snipes uh, is dunking on everybody, and Woody Harrelson is purposefully not doing that. Because uh, he wants his opponents to buy into that belief. And then he totally shows them up. Classic early 90s and one mixtape style. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. And I don't think we need to go into the whole plot of the movie because um, there's the whole romance story and friendship and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but what we were interested in is this bias that allows him to be successful in hustling, right? He uses a stereotype, and I would argue that a stereotype is the imagination drawing from a bunch of different experiences and trying to uh, abstract, try to generalize. And so uh, the imagination is able to decontextualize elements from those experiences to find patterns. And uh, that is useful for us. We, We find the use of 
patterns very helpful for survival. You know, uh, these kinds of berries are poisonous and these kinds are edible. Uh, this kind of animal is a predator and this kind of animal is a prey. Uh, so, so pattern seeking is something that we do and, and helps us survive. But in this case, it's something that can lead us astray too. the generalization then being because he's white, he can't play basketball or, or can't play as well as us. And uh, so we'll, we'll easily beat him. So let's over bet on, on this. You know, it seems like a gimme. We're going to make some money off of this. Right. I can't uh, state enough like what you just said that the uh, the the biases basically work against us like all the time uh, we're not very good at like statistical thinking right you talked about the experience you have one or two experiences with something and it goes a certain way and now all of a sudden our brain like wants to like you said it can't be stated enough how important this aspect of it is the interpretation because our brain sees this pattern of like it happened once before it happened a second time before it's gonna happen a third time even if statistically speaking that thing only happens two percent of the time and you just got unlucky twice in a row mm -hmm. right and so in the woody harrelson case right this is a a story of one the stereotype existing um probably very falsely I mean, I'm not going to talk about 90s white males, but who knows? Maybe all of them could jump and we just evolved to not jump, you know, a year <laughs> or two later. <clears throat> but in that case, right, like the the stereotype probably, I mean, it comes about because enough people have the same superficial experience so that then the through the blessing of language, we communicate that similar experience even if it's not true uh and then everybody believes in it because they also had that one time same experience right so but enough people see that black players are in the nba so and they all can jump high and that all the white players who are in college can't jump as high meaning white players can't get to the nba because they can't jump as high then they just assume that no white players can jump <clears throat> yeah that's good and and i think it's helpful here we've been talking about bias uh stereotype and i want to throw in a third word prejudice and i think these all carry very strong negative connotations um there's there's a usefulness to forming stereotypes right there's a usefulness to prejudging a situation to anticipate what might happen so that i can be ready to react more quickly right there's uh, a whole lot of uh, ways of understanding my environment. And if I can narrow down some of the irrelevant options to focus on the relevant ones, my decision-making will, uh, will be much quicker. So stereotyping, pattern recognition, prejudging a situation, which we would call prejudice, but not in the kind of, you know, connotation of slander or, or negative thinking. But prejudging is an important element of human thinking. So I want to emphasize it happens. We can't necessarily prevent it from happening, but being aware that it's happening and how it impacts the results of our attempts at interpretation is really important because sometimes we do need to find ways to counteract that influence that, that our natural tendencies might you know, lead us astray with. Right. You gave the example of the berry earlier, right? You eat a berry that is causes you to vomit you know twice in a row you're definitely not going to eat red berries for a long time until you have enough experience to the contrary that says 
I, you know, I see other people eating this other red berry, so maybe not all red berries are bad. Um, and it's a skill that has, you know, it's evolved within us and has allowed us to survive and persist and, and uh, evolve over time. And so mm-hmm. it, it's super useful, right? But it, you know, just like a lot of other things, our brain gets so bogged in its in its own survival tactics that since we're no longer trying to survive, <laughs> or you know we are, but not to the same extent of there's like a saber tooth tiger over there kind of survive, right. it has to like do this stuff in other outlets, and so we find all these little quirks and like you said, all these cognitive biases which actually help us sometimes work against us in a lot of other ways that are not survival based. Yeah. So with that caveat, let's go back to, I think, the distinction that you were pointing out in our two uses of the word experience. Um, So we hear some rustling in the leaves next to us. We're all walking along, hiking in the forest, and there's some rustling in the leaves. What we experience in my, and the way I was using it, is the sound and the movement of the leaves, right? There's physical stimuli that our body picks up perceives and then has to process and determine we want to know what's causing the rustling is it something to be is it the wind which i don't need to be concerned about or is there an animal that might be a a predator right so there are at least more than one interpretive options for how we understand the rustling leaves i think the way you were using experience is when i finally determine an interpretation of the rustling leaves and say what happened was I experienced the wind moving that tree, that is an experience. Now now I've had the perceptual stimuli interpreted and ingested into an experience for me. Is that how you were using the term experience? Uh, Roughly, yeah. Oh, I just, so I don't disagree with that characterization. Maybe we need two different terms to distinguish because I think it could get confusing. Uh, I was thinking... The perceptual experience is the initial given. Uh, if if we just want to say the perceptual stimuli, that's fine with me. The interpretative, the interpretation of the event, is what I think we really want to emphasize. I think there's a naive belief that there's the world out there, and there's my mind in here and my body, whatever in and out means there, uh, and my body receives the incoming information from the world, and I understand it like there's just this naive like the world impresses upon me and i get it i understand the world uh and i think that's super naive because there's more than one way to to take in that information and process it right i mean yeah just like in the the baby study that i was talking about right like the baby doesn't just come to understand like intuitively that its arms are a part of itself from the moment it's born uh, mm-hmm. You know, they determined that at whatever age they were studying it at, that that's like the earliest that that baby can start to put together. I wouldn't even say that it like perceives itself in that moment, but these are the building blocks of that perception, right? So it's experiencing. It, it, you can say it's ex, it's it's experiencing its hand in that instance, right? But it's it's not all there yet. But before that. You could be, you would be hard pressed to say like that's even experiencing it. It's just kind of like neurons are firing, but maybe that's brings into question this thing that's always plaguing my mind is like what exactly is an experience. So I really appreciate that uh, 
we'll we'll separately define that like uh, the initial stimuli. I'll just call it the event for now. And then the once it starts going through these cognitive steps, then it becomes to me more of a, an experience experience. Yeah, and I think I mean part of why I use the word understanding is because I think to me that is the outcome. You you have the stimuli, you have the interpretive process, and the product is an understanding of the event. Um, so maybe we can even just remove experience. Experience might be the whole process or, or everything involved. Uh, or maybe it just applies to some component, but we don't have to quibble over that because sure. we know that there's something that happened and then there's what we make of what happened. How do we make sense of it? The making meaning. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so with, with that kind of picture, um, I, I think that we can talk about valid and, and multiple interpretations, right? So, so we have the stimuli. If I think that it's just wind and I walk by and there's actually a predator, my life could be in danger. <laughs> uh, if I think that there's a predator and uh, it's just the wind, at least I was on, on the lookout, right? I went with caution. I proceeded with caution, right? So then there's maybe a pragmatic element let me let me draw up all the different wagers here, right? Like I could bet that it's wind and it is wind and everything's fine. I could bet that it's a predator and it's a predator, and at least I'm prepared for battle or running, you know, fight or flight. Um, or the other scenarios where maybe it's just a wind, but I think it's a predator, but nothing. There's no negative output, right? So now I have a decision tree, and need to figure out which is the best interpretation for moving forward in that scenario. This is where we're taking like a meta perspective, right? I'm not just interpreting the stimuli, but now I'm trying to understand my understanding and, and think about how ought I to try and understand it. And this is where reflection comes in. Reflection is like a doubling of thought where we can take a meta perspective and think about thinking. One of the things that we try and do, at least uh, within like the museum... Uh, exhibit and program aspect of of my job is to uh, we try to tease out when these two moments happen and you know like you said it's very muddy right where the distinction comes into play uh, even though you promised me some un unmuddied waters here <laughs> <laughs> um, but we'll set up an exhibit right so let's just say the exhibit is um, you have a bunch of materials, ramps and pegs and stuff like that, a pegboard. And the objective here is to just create something that a ball will drop in kind of like, like a little ball maze or something like that. Um, the interpretation happens in multiple phases and we kind of look at whether there's interpretation or reflection. And sometimes we're not right and sometimes uh, it's kind of obvious that there is something happening there. So in the first superficial thing, uh, somebody comes up to this exhibit and they look at it, they walk away. Uh, just from that process there, you could say there's interpretation and the reflection is probably just, is this something I want to do or not do? Mm -hmm. uh, and basically that's a question that we can ask, like, why did you walk away from this experience, right? But that's basically all we can glean, even externally. Like, if we ask somebody a more specific question, they'd probably just be like, what What are you coming at me with this for? Like, it's just an exhibit. 
Right. Um, usually the next level is, can they do something with it? Right. So they start setting up the pegs. Maybe they try a ramp. Uh, and in that process there, um, there's reflection happening instantaneously because they're interpreting the materials that they have, what's available. But then they start reflecting on whether things are working the way they intended them to work. Right. The ramp maybe starts sliding or uh, the ball doesn't go anywhere. They laid it flat and they're trying to get the angle. Right. Um, kind of just making the stuff on the spot. But this is an actual exhibit that we have. <laughs> <laughs> And we can start to ask more questions about that and really like getting meta of the meta, right? We're asking questions of the meta process that's happening in this person to try and understand um, how we can make the experience better or if the learning goals are being met, um, if we're actually helping people improve on their own decision-making trees. Uh, but at the same time, we're also watching to see what kinds of reflection processes they might be going through, right? Is that like, First, is this like appealing or not? You know, that's the first level. And then, you know, are they trying to achieve some sort of goal? Are they meeting their goal? Are they testing things out? Are they playing with variables? You know, these are the kinds of questions that we ask that they are probably asking themselves just in a different way. Uh, basically, mm. I bring that all up just to show that, like, you can't really even have the reflection part without the interpretive part. But I think we kind of seem like we can agree that the interpretation like almost always happens. I can't think of times where it doesn't, but I'm just going to give Gautamer the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to wrap up by saying the interpretation almost always happens, right? But some steps, even in the like predator-prey thing, right? Some things are more physiological and the interpretation happens and then your hair stands on end. And you don't really reflect on it. I, I should say you can't say that you're concretely reflecting on it because you just start hightailing it out of there before you even know what to do it. Right. I think what's interesting in that scenario then is uh, after you've reacted, you can later use your memory and your imagination to relive that experience and then take a meta perspective like, could I or should I have responded differently? Right. So... I think a lot of our activity in response to initial stimuli is reactive. Uh, but what's fascinating that uh, I think in this whole discussion of subjectivity that we've been leading up to all season is that we're not just reactive beings. There's this kind of doubling of our experience that we can abstract it from the actual context where it occurred and whether in memory or in imagination or in, an, in a future scenario we can bring to bear having thought about and considered that experience and try to say, what if we had responded differently or what other kinds of things should I would have been good indicators to be paying attention to. So next time I'm trying to identify those in the midst of a reaction, right? So reflection utilizes all these other tools and, and elements of thinking that we've already discussed. It's not a replacement for interpretation. Uh, it's something that happens on top of and because of interpretation. Yeah, and uh, you just gave me this idea that um, even with processes that they seem sort of reflexive, the reflection had to have happened at some point in time. Uh, we, You mentioned muscle memory earlier, right? You practice shooting a basketball 
and there's like interpretation you throw it maybe the throw is reflexive at the first stage but you get better at shooting and you have to go through some sort of reflection process as to get better at that right you got to throw it further or less far you got to make sure that your wrist is in the right position your hands in the right position there's all these little things you have to think about um and at some stage you're actively thinking about it even if it doesn't really feel like it um, but then you get better and better at it until it becomes more reflexive right like steph curry probably doesn't think about his shot at all like it hits his hand and everything happens what seems to be reflexive um and maybe like the pathway that that thought goes through is just so short that his interpretive and uh, reflection stages are just extremely short. But also, there's evidence to suggest that over time, these things become more uh, part of our natural fiber. Mm. Uh, like they're evolutionary, evolutionarily ingrained in us, is what I mean to say. Sometimes we use the phrase second nature. It becomes second nature. Yes. Uh, and I think that's an important uh, idea that you're putting out there is that the reflection is part of the learning process, but eventually it might lead to something that we were going to talk about next time, habit, <laughs> habituation. Um, I do want to just be put one word of caution that just repeated activity isn't the same thing as reflection. Uh, you know, we're, we've been talking specifically here about human behaviors and attempting to develop skills. So that learning process builds into it already subjectivity. But uh, repetition itself isn't reflection. So I talked about a doubling. But if you just had a machine with gears doing things over and over and over again, the machine isn't necessarily reflecting on its process. It's just continuing the process, repeating the process. So, so I do want to take like, I really want to emphasize the subjective element of this meta moment, right? It's an ability, a, a weird generative aspect of thought that it can think, turn on itself and think about itself, which I don't think happens in a lot of mechanical repetition. Right. You actually made me just ask myself the question of, can one learn without reflection, with just interpretation? Because I was thinking of that scenario, but with my example, which was the shooting Let's just say it's shooting free throws, right? Not not shooting a basketball, but shooting free throws, right? If you just do it repetitively, the more or less the same result's going to happen. I mean, I don't want to get into like the mathematical statistics, but maybe the ball goes in different directions upon leaving your hand. But uh, you know, if you're always if you shoot the ball short the first time and you do the exact same thing again, it's obviously going to go short that time after and the time after that and the time after that, right? And so even if you interpret that you're short on your shot, uh, you have to then reflect and put in process ways to not shoot it short. You have to, like, the reflection actually causes you to do something different. And maybe Great. there's, like, another step there that I'm, like, like, after you reflect, you also have to do the thing that you reflect on. But you can't just get from interpretation to change. And maybe that's, like you said earlier, maybe now we're starting to better define experience. <laughs> yes. Great. Yeah, I think that's really good. So the, um, just kind of maybe it's good to try and wrap this up and we can talk about more of these elements as we get into habit making and decision making. But um, if, if stimuli being processed uh, reactively isn't enough for genuine thought, right, we need some kind of normativity to invo be involved. 
I think interpretation is this attempt, uh, it's a normative attempt to incorporate the stimuli into a form of understanding that's aimed at some kind of contextual project. So I called it usefulness. Maybe you can think of it some other, some other term, but this idea that I'm understanding for a reason. I'm trying to do something be a certain way in, in my context. If I'm just a lump <laughs> having stimuli, uh, there's not a whole lot of need to interpret those stimuli because I'm not trying to do anything. I don't have any projects or goals or aims. Um, so I, I do think that there's a goal-oriented nature to interpretation, which is why the same set of stimuli can be interpreted multiple times. And sometimes you can have multiple valid interpretations that conflict with one another. And I'm thinking here of like science where we take a micro approach, we're interested in electrons, protons, and the atomic reactions, or maybe we're looking at biology and we're interested in the biological phenomenon, or maybe we're looking at macro physics, right? We're, we're just wanting to see, uh, we're trying to understand cause and effect or energy or something like that. So. I feel like uh, the variety of interpretations might lead us back into that subjectivity and relativism that we were struggling with in the truth episode. Uh, why should we prefer some interpretations over others? I really liked uh, that you uh, characterized, you know, earlier that decision tree aspect of it, um, because the reflection process is super important to you know like you said did not just like coming up with that tree right the interpretation allows us to pull that tree out but the reflection allows us to actually see that different decisions can be made and then we get that extra layer where we see that these different decisions can have different outcomes and that to me is probably the most important word uh in the whole i don't want to say description that you just gave but um, you know, you use the word goals, right? Uh, which is something that we constantly, you and I specifically, uh, constantly talk about is like, uh, what makes an experiencing being experience? And I think we both separately and in different ways came to this point that uh, the goal, or as I like to say, the outcome is what makes it an experience, right? There's like a directive there. Uh, and Gadamer used the word useful. And uh, and so to that, you know, you can't really have the goal. It's, I, I'm so circular right now because I keep thinking, you know, you mentioned the normative structure. You can't really have the goal without the norms, but you can't get to the goal without this uh, reflection, interpretation, imagination process because you have to be able to determine that one is better than the other, which doesn't exist mm. without the norms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, I wonder which comes first, the the goal or the reflective process, because I'm not sure that we always choose our goals. Um, so maybe there are some goals that are kind of thrust upon us, whether by nature, biology, or culture and tradition. Uh, but the reflective process there does involve a distance from the immediate present stimuli taking into con uh, consideration this goal that we're aiming at, the larger project, and that ability to try and bridge the gap. How do I orient my response to the situation towards my goals? And then, because reflection does entail this doubling distance, I can turn my focus on the goal itself and say, why do I have this goal? Do I want this goal, or is there another goal I want? 
So I think it's it's interesting. Uh, maybe some goals precede reflection, but reflection can change our goals. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. And you used this term a long time ago uh, when you said co-emerging. Mm. And uh, I don't know in what way goals could co-emerge with normativity because they just don't seem that that's possible. But in this example, uh, in this description that you're providing, I just can't help but think of like, uh, single-celled organisms or uh, plants are probably better because they're multi-celled but it's not clear if they experience or think and you could probably assume that they don't um, but the goal seems pretty clear survival hmm. right? and I don't I wouldn't say that that organism determined that survival is the goal but they definitely do things in correspondence with their own survival right plants turn their leaves toward the sun as it moves across the sky, right? If it didn't need to do that, maybe need is a better word. If it didn't need to do that, it wouldn't do that. Or it would change its leaves, you know, throughout the day all willy-nilly. Um, and so it's unclear right now if plants have norms, <laughs> but it's pretty clear that they do have this need or goal Fascinating. I I am going to hang on to that. Hopefully we can bring that up early on in our season about artificial intelligence, because I think this question of how do we determine whether plants have goals uh, will play very heavily into how do we know if a computer has goals.